0: So as Nelson said, uh, last weekend was our practice for the Roshek building and surprisingly, maybe it's not surprising, everything went, uh, well, really well and, uh, so we wanted to make sure that everything went well before we invited everyone and so you're all invited if you want to go down to the Roshek and worship down there, we'd love to have you down there. Um, don't all go at once, but, uh, you know, I mean, if you decide you want to go down there, and for some of you, it may be closer just to, to go to that. We have parking in the garage, uh, just kitty-corner from the building, and uh, you'll be uh, amazed at uh, how it just, it's just—it's going to be a great space for us, and it's going to be a major uh, step ministry-wise for us. It's going to give us more capacity and opportunity to minister to a, a group of people that we haven't been able to but would have desired to minister to. So it's uh, going to be a, a big uh, step for us. Um, I was talking to uh, last night to the uh, audience, and I said uh, one of the challenges over the years that we've had with the Elder Board is this. Um, faith is, a, is kind of a, a challenging thing. It's, a, it's kind of an interesting thing because there are some things in life that you do that you don't need a lot of faith, right? Right. Um, it doesn't take a lot of faith to do certain things that are spiritual Uh, but then there's other things that are really they stretch your faith they're like whoa god i don't know what i'm going to do i can't do this you know and and so we we try to balance out stretching our faith with foolishness what i mean by that is foolishness is when um you and and there are christians that say that they'll say um i can jump off this building and god will keep me from being injured well that's kind of foolishness right that doesn't make a whole lot of sense does it doesn't it's it, you know it, it essentially that's what the, the enemy said to, to jesus jump off the building your angels will catch you and and, and jesus says no that's dumb you know i'm not going to do that and he didn't say it that way that's my translation but um essentially that's foolishness but faith is something different faith is something where you say and and i don't like this phrase because god doesn't have to show up it, it, it means that we're going to stretch ourselves either individually as a church and we're going to do something that says we're going to need God's help with this or we're never going to get this done. And unless God helps us with this, we're never going to do that. And so one of the things that the elder board is constantly saying is, are we taking stretch faith steps that we need to take as a congregation, as a church? And we think this Roshek is one of those stretches. And I think we're right because some of some of the folks that attend Hope Church are real uncomfortable with this. And some of the others are saying, yeah, let's go do it, you know. And and others are going, I don't know, you know. And uh, I remember uh, when we built this building and I I came in here and we had it kind of framed in and it looked so large. And I said, will there be enough people to fill this up or is it going to feel empty or what? I have three services. Here on the weekends. You say, Well, Matt, you're our pastor. Shouldn't you have more faith than that? Yeah, duh, of course I should. <laughs> but to me, that was a stretch faith step there. Now we look back we say, Well, duh, of course that was what we should have done. And I think Roshek's going to be one of those things. So we'd love to have you join us down there and we appreciate all the people who have been giving to, Ho- giving to hope and giving to Roshek because we couldn't do it without that. And you volunteered your time and Uh, you're excited about that and and some of you gave and you said you know what This has no effect on me at all because I don't intend. on going down to Rorschach I might visit it once or twice, but you know, I like this campus and that's fine but you gave because you saw the purpose of Ministry of the church reaching out to others and uh, we that's we're real thankful that we have people in our congregation that feel that way Uh, So I want to jump into our passage this weekend because I'm actually going there today to preach for the first time um And there's a funny video, I think we'll show it to you next weekend, but uh, we're doing it uh, this weekend live there at uh, Roshak. But, um, so we've been talking about um, going through the life of uh, Jacob and Isaac, and and now we're kind of focusing a little bit more on Jacob. And uh, Jacob is the father of the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. So Israel becomes, you know, Jacob becomes the father of the nation of Israel. So it's pretty important. So and Jacob, as we looked at, uh stole the blessing from uh from his brother and deceived his father and had to run because for two reasons. Number one, his brother was plotting his death. <laughs> he says he's gonna die, it's just a matter of when. And and his mother heard him, and his mother is very good at overhearing like stuff that's going on if you've noticed that under here uh, over here is that he's going to give the blessing to the older and over here's the plot that the, I don't know if they're talking in their sleep or they're talking out loud or whatever but somehow she's got you know she's hearing this stuff so she says to her son you need to get out of here you need to go find a wife she says to her husband i don't like any of the women around here let's send him off so we can find a wife send him to my brother and and so he, he Jacob heads out, and he's all alone. We talked about that last weekend. And this weekend, what he does is he comes to a well, and there's a bunch of shepherds around there. They're waiting for the stone to be rolled away, which apparently is fairly heavy. And uh, Jacob apparently can do it on, him, on his own. And his, he, he meets this beautiful girl, Rachel. And he immediately falls in love with her and he says, I must have her, I must have her and he finds out, lo and behold, by accident it's not by accidents, providential God's care and God's guidance, that, that she happens to be the daughter of Laban, his mother's you know, so there's this family relationship, there's this gathering together, so Jacob goes and he meets his uncle Laban and um he's in love with Rachel and he's determined he wants to marry her, so he begins to work for his uncle. Now what we learn about his uncle is he's ruthless, and he—if you thought that Jacob was a pretty good, uh, you know, manipulator and you know, planner and deceptive and doing all this stuff—he's met his match with Laban because Laban is—he—he's an amateur compared to Laban. Laban is a pro, and and Laban is going to show Jacob just what it means to, to get manipulated, what it means to have somebody play you. That's what we're going to see. So we're in Genesis 29. It's on page 24 of your chair Bible. And this passage contains a number of surprises. We look at them and we're surprised by how what, what is happening here. And we're going to see that as we go through the passage. So Genesis 29, and where we're going to jump into the text is where Jacob has now met Rachel. He's gone, and he's met his uncle, and now they're working out a working relationship. What's our relationship going to be with you here working for me? What does that look like? And that's where we're going to jump into the text. It's on page 24, Genesis 29, verse 15. Laban said to him, you shouldn't work for me without pay just because we are relatives. Tell me how much your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. the older daughter name was, was named Leah, and the younger one was Rachel. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, "I'll work for seven years if, you, if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife." Agreed, Laban replied. I'd rather give her to you than anyone else. Stay and work with me. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed but a few days. Oh, isn't that sweet? (laughs) Finally, the time came for him to marry her. I have fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. That doesn't seem so sweet anymore, does it? So Laban invited everyone into the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. But that that night when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob and he slept with her. So a couple of observations from this passage. As I said before, Jacob has found his match with Uncle Laban. Uncle Laban is going to show Jacob just what deceit and dirty dealing really is. Jacob is going to get some of his own medicine. Number two, Jacob meets Rachel at the well, and she is beautiful. And Jacob is ready to work way longer than he needed because he really wanted her so bad. And we're going to see that makes him vulnerable to to, uh, Laban. I think Laban is aware of that. And uh, so he is going to use that against Jacob. Uh, Leah, the older sister. We're not really... By the way, if your name is Leah... Please don't take offense to anything I say about this Leah in the Bible uh, because I really don't know her and never have met her. But uh, the, the text describes her as, some say, weak-eyed. Um, we're really not sure. She was either ugly, she was cross-eyed. There was something wrong with her. There was something that was uncomely. She was, maybe she was ugly. I don't know. She, there was She had issues. But Rachel didn't. And Rachel was unbelievably beautiful. And so Leah was the oldest daughter. Now here we have that reversal going on where the oldest now is being shunned for the younger, and that's kind of going on over and over, and we're seeing that pattern over and over. So Jacob, uh, after working for Rachel for seven years is is qu- he's quite crass because he says okay now give me my wife so i can sleep with her and it seems like that doesn't seem super rom- romantic at all it just uh, seems like a man who has just been driven by his passions which is probably true it shows also that he's pretty desperate um one of the other major questions is so he wakes up and he realizes that he slept with leah the older daughter and not rachel the one, the daughter that he was promised. And in the morning he found out it was Leah and, you know, he was shocked by that. But the question is, well, how'd that happen? How in the world do you sleep with the wrong woman? You know, I mean, it's not like you wake up and, oh, you're not my wife. You know, it's like all of a sudden you just, uh, but here's the thing. in uh, it, It's very, very likely that a couple things were playing against him. Number one, it was dark. There was no electricity. It was absolutely dark. But it was also, he's probably pretty drunk because there was a festival going on. He was pretty drunk. And I would say that many of you would say, yeah, I could see where that could happen in a sense where, and I'm not making any comment morally, don't go any further than that, but I'm just saying that when you are drunk, when your senses are uh, are not there, it's very easy to say, I did what? I mean, I remember in college where you're explaining to the next day to somebody who was drunk the night before how they wrapped their car around a telephone pole and how they got out alive and they have bruises and how did I get those bruises and you say well if that could happen there's a whole bunch of other things so probably a combination of those things took place so the first surprise though is this that Laban gives Jacob a taste of his own medicine that he switches the girls he gives Jacob Leah his older daughter and Jacob immediately goes to Laban in the morning when he finds out he's been deceived and he says what have you done to me Jacob raged at Laban. I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? Now, notice this is a very interesting turn of events because what happened? We we read last weekend that Jacob deceived. Two weeks ago, we we see where we saw where Jacob deceived. Uh, Jacob was deceived by Laban, but also a couple of weeks ago we looked at how J, just as Isaac was deceived by Jacob, Laban had put Leah to take Rachel's place just like Jacob took Esau's place. Isaac was tricked because he was old and blind. Jacob was tricked because he was dark and drunk. So the same switch took place to him that, was, that he did to his father. Um, Laban's response literally says this, it is not done in our place to set the younger before the elder. So that's not an answer. <laughs> it's like if he had said that to me, I probably would have said something like, well, okay, so that would have been nice to know seven years ago! Right? Now, don't wait until now to tell me that. If you had qualms about it, you should have told me then. And our agreement was for Rachel. Leah was never part of the agreement. You've deceived me. You, you have swindled me. But he doesn't do any of that. There's no debate about it. There's, he agrees maybe too quickly to work another seven years. Now, the other thing about this is, for uh, the typical price for the bride the dowry was between 30 and 50 shekels 30 and 50 the average uh, wage for a shepherd was 10 shekels a year so he's working a lot he's spending a lot more than he needs to and you say well why 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 isn't he arguing with his uncle why is he not debating this more and i think that jacob couple things are happening number one i think jacob may be beginning to understand that he's getting what he was given that jacob is beginning to suffer the consequences of his own behavior and he's being treated in the same way that he's treated other uh just like he's treated isaac or esau just like he's treated uh, his father jacob was reaping as uh, galatians 6 7 says jacob was reaching reaping what he had sown but there's something deeper going on um so, so Laban says, "Okay, you can you can have my daughter Rachel, but um, and you don't have to wait seven years to marry her and for her to be your wife. All that I ask is that you don't do anything in the next week. And you know, in other words, you know, don't slap Leah so much in the face. You know, let let her be, have her week, and then you can you can have Rachel. And so he agrees to the terms, and." Um, you know, in, in a request for decency to wait before you marry. Uh, can you imagine that if you're Leah and your little sister is the good-looking one and all of a sudden uh, you're married to this guy and he doesn't really love you and he wants to marry your sister and he doesn't want anything to do with you. and <laughs> I can't imagine. And by the way, what a sketchy father-in-law! Can you imagine get you know getting into this family with this guy and thinking, well, what kind of business dealing? And you'll see down the road there'll be other business dealings going on, but Jacob will get his upper hand uh, down the road. Uh, but this is going to begin a real rift between the two sisters. There's real tension, um, and we're going to see that Leah is going to is desperate for Jacob's love. She's desperate for Jacob's love, and just can't find it. Um, but I think what's what's really going on here Is that Jacob thought that all he really needed in his life Was a beautiful wife If I can have this beautiful woman in my life Then my life will be full My life will be significant My life will be secure My life will be I'll be satisfied in life I just need that And uh, he thought If I can just have that Whatever it is And we do this, we do this all the time We say well if I can just have this job If I can just have this uh, family. if I could just have this uh, uh, wealth, uh, power, whatever it is, prestige, whatever it is. Uh, for, for a man, and, and I'm being very general here, but for a man many times, for a man it's his work, it's his job. And so some men who have had the, the, the same job for a period of time or they've done something and they've done it well and they've worked hard at it and all of a sudden for one reason or another they lose their job and they say, Who am I? What's my purpose in life? What am I going to do? And what they're saying is, this identified who I was. This made me who I was. This gave me security. This gave me significance. And now I've lost it. I don't know what I'm going to do. Some, uh, you know, women and not just women, but men do this. Say, well, I just have to have this relationship. And it may be a relationship with a with a, a person, a, a husband. A, uh, it may be having children. If I can just have this beautiful family, and then these beautiful little kids grow up, and they're so cute, and they don't say anything, and they start open their mouths, and you go, "What have I gotten myself into? Who are you?" Um, so you, you have all of that, and 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 so the the bottom line, and and I heard, uh, I read a, a number of years ago a pastor who used this passage, and he just used that one phrase, said that. When you go to bed thinking that you're you're going to be fulfilled because of this person, this job, or whatever it is, you wake up in the morning and you realize it was Leah. It's always Leah. Because no marriage, no job, no nothing can fill the emptiness in your life. Nothing can. You realize in the morning, it always falls short. always Leah. And that's kind of what he found. And it's what we found it 's what we will always find when we ask someone or something to be what only God can we 'll find out in the morning it 's always Leah. and the application is this: no matter what you think will do it in your life, a career, a family, relationship, lots of money, power, prestige in the morning it 's always Leah and i don 't have time to go there, but over the years I played clips of and i 'm not trying to pick on anyone, but i 'm you know Tom Brady after he won his Super Bowl. And he was being interviewed by 60 Minutes and he had apparently... I mean, I'm not... I feel like I have to put so many disclaimers on things when I say them because I don't want to offend anyone. But he has a beautiful wife. He has more money than he knows what to do to spend with. And he said, I just feel like there's something missing. The morning It's always Leah. And that's the first surprise. The first surprise is that uh, he's getting some of his own medicine and he's finding out, if he hasn't found out yet, that uh, that uh, there's something deeper going on here. The second surprise is that God loved Leah even if Jacob didn't. Go back to the text. This is page 24, verse 32. Now, this next phrase, and I underlined it here, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, and I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if you feel loved. I don't know if you're in a marriage where you don't feel like there's the other person is loving you. I don't, I, I don't know where you're at, but I want you to know that the Lord sees you and knows whether you're loved or whether you're not loved, but He does love you. And so it's, it's a nothing, He doesn't miss anything. So if you're in a marriage where you don't feel loved, you, you need to go and remember this passage because the Lord sees your heart. He sees your heart. And so it says, When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, He enabled her to have children, but Rachel could not conceive. Now, let me just stop and just... Let you know how important this is. In this culture, having children was everything for a woman. It gave them prestige. It gave them honor. It gave them everything. Not having children was seen almost as a curse from God. If you couldn't have children, there was something that you had done that you had angered the God, uh, gods, whatever. And, and so having children was a sign that God's favor, God's hand was upon you. Having sons, and I know having beautiful daughters, I don't know it personally, but having beautiful daughters is in, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a boy or girl healthy babies all we right in that day having a boy was critical having a boy was just major so we're going to (laughs) see leah's going to have four boys boom 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 i mean she just is a boy making machine you know it's just that it's 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 um i'm sorry if you're offended by that i don't mean to do that um but notice it says, Leah became pregnant and she gave birth to a son. She named, him, she named her first son Reuben. For she said, The Lord has noticed my misery and now my husband will love me. She soon became pregnant again. She gave birth to another son. She named him Simeon. For she said, The Lord heard I was unloved and has given me another son. And she became pregnant with a third, a third time and gave birth to another son. She named him Levi, for she said, Surely this time my husband will feel my affection for me since I have given him three sons. Again, once again, she became, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to another son. She named him Judah, for she said, Now I will praise the Lord. And she stopped having children. Now Jacob never really loved Leah. He, he loved rachel he, he he and and it seems as though that his love for Rachel was pushing leah's uh face in the mud uh but his his whole he she tried to win his heart and how did, how did Leah try to win his heart by having children, by having boys um, the names of the boys reflect something very deep in her heart notice what the names mean Reuben means sight and, and basically she says I will name him Reuben for maybe now my husband will notice me he'll see me he doesn't see me, he sees her he never sees me I'm ugly to him I'm despised by him hated by him maybe now with this son he'll see me she names her second son Simeon which means here. maybe now he'll hear my words maybe now we'll talk maybe now we'll communicate maybe now he'll hear me Levi's the third one uh, third son and it means to be joined and so she's saying well now maybe with three sons we'll be joined once and for all that we'll have this union that he'll care for me he'll love me we'll be joined Do you see what she's doing here? She's naming each son as a way to reflect where her heart is, how she desperately wants her husband to love her. But he doesn't. He hates her. He despises her. She's ugly. Judah, the last name, and she finally comes to a place where she says praise. Judah means praise. And she says, I will now praise God. And it's, it's almost as though there's a transition going on in her heart where she realizes that her husband can't give her what she desperately wants. And so she begins to look to God. It, it seems as though she's beginning to look to God rather than her husband for what God could o- only God could give her. Um, but look at what God did. God gave her three sons. But in Judah, He did something very remarkable. Uh, when you read about the promise in Genesis 12, where God says to Abraham, "I'm going to make you a great nation, I'm going to bless you and all the generations." And so then that, that blessing passes on. We talked about that to Isaac. And then that blessing we talked about a couple weeks ago, how Jacob stole that blessing. It was ultimately God intended it to go to Jacob, but it was stolen and manipulated, but God's plans are still carried out. So the blessing goes from Abraham to Isaac. Jacob. And you know where it goes next? It goes to this son. She is having four sons. And it says that the, when she had Judah, she stopped having children for now. Do you want to know where the Messiah comes from, where Jesus was born of the tribe of Judah? What God was doing was saying. Your husband may reject you. Your husband may think you're the ugliest woman on the earth. Your husband may be, just looks past you and despises you, but not me. In fact, you are going to be so treasured that you will bear the son of promise, the one who will save the world from all that's wrong. Your child, your descendant will save the world, save the universe. So God looks down on this rejected one and says, the world will be saved through you, through your child. Here's the third surprise. Jacob repeated the pattern of his father. Can you, can you think of any negative traits or habits in your life? that have been been in your family line for generations. Maybe you can identify. Let me give you a couple of examples. Um, Alcoholism, verbal or physical abuse, pornography, racism, bitterness, or fear. Were you raised in an environment like that? Were your grandparents like that? Maybe you're like that. Maybe your family's like that. Were you raised in in, uh, an environment where there was abuse going on? Uh, This was out of the New York Times a number of years ago and the quote says this, studies um, also now indicate that about one-third of people who are abused in childhood will become abusers themselves. And you would say, how is that possible? How is it possible for somebody who has been abused to become an abuser? And the New York Times article basically says that one-third of people who are abused become abusers. Why is that? Well... It's interesting to see in the life of Jacob that here he is, he was rejected by his father. His father, uh, his father, Jacob's father, loved his brother Esau more than he loved Jacob. And it was very clear. It was very clear. And now what's he doing with his wife? Totally rejecting her. He's doing his... And by the way, down the road, he's going to do the same thing because he's going to have he's going to have a couple of other sons down the road Jacob is, because there's 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. We've seen the first four tribes, right? And Judah's the last that Leah has, and then we're going to see the handmaidens get in, and then, then you know what's going to happen? God is going to open up Rachel's womb, and Rachel's going to have two sons, and her first son's name is Joseph. Now, what do, what do we know about Joseph? We know this. We know that his father overloved him to the point that his brothers hated him. You say, how could Jacob do that to his son when that's exactly what his father did to him? How could he do that? How could he, how could he carry on that same path? He knows how it feels. He would, you, you would think he would come to places. When I grow up and I become a dad, I'll never do that to my sons. I'll treat them all equally. No, no, no. That's not what happened here. He repeated the pattern, and I think that that's what this verse is getting at. Um, and it'll be up on your screen. It's Numbers chapter fourteen and verse eight. Notice what it says: "The Lord is slow to anger and filled with unfailing love, forgiving every sin, every kind of sin and rebellion. But He does not excuse the guilty. He lays the sins of parents upon their children; the entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations." What's going on? The sins of Isaac, are being passed on to Jacob, are being passed on to Joseph. So we have this pattern. And so what I want you to see here is he knows what it's like to be rejected, and yet here he is doing the same thing to his wife and his kids, who's committed the same sins to others that were committed against him. And I'm convinced that one of the curses that we pass on to our kids and our grandkids our, our sinful habits and behaviors. We think sin only affects us, but it affects everyone around us. And I'm afraid that sometimes we're not thinking that we are passing these patterns on to future generations. Now, each some people say, well, that verse basically says that you are cursed because of what your parent the sins that your parents committed that you're not no 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 i don't think that's what this passage is saying the bible says elsewhere that you god holds each person accountable for their own sin so you're not accountable for your parents sin but you're accountable for your sin you're not accountable for your grandparents sin but you are accountable for your sins but what i'm saying is that there are patterns and decisions that are being made and things that are being done that have an effect upon you that cause you to carry out the same patterns to future generations good news is this that when the gospel comes into your life and God gets a hold of your heart and changes you from the inside out those patterns can be broken forever patterns of alcoholism patterns of abuse patterns of just things that maybe you picked up you can do you can do a 90 degree and walk away from that and God can change you and I have friends that, that they're they were raised in in abusive and alcoholic homes and, and those homes have changed forever their home is different they've broken the pattern and the reason they've broken the pattern is not because they tried harder not because they got help though those are good things but because the gospel of jesus christ came in and set them free and those patterns are broken forever the good news is the gospel can always break these sinful patterns here's the last surprise and i'll close with this god is always working behind the scenes in amazing ways So Jacob prefers Rachel over Leah. But God loves Leah. And it's her son that will carry the Messiah. The line of blessing will go through Leah's son. That God would save the world through Leah's son, not Rachel's. We see the reversal. And God does this pattern over and over and over again. And ultimately, this reversal pattern and this uh, pattern of God um, taking tragedy. and, And here's the thing. Uh, Because maybe you're here and you go, you know, Pastor, one of the things that I fear in life is that evil people will do things to me. They'll hurt me. They'll get me. And I just want you to know that God's word says that he's sovereign over this world. This is his world. And even though people can do evil things, God can still work his perfect plan out in your life. They can't stop God's perfect plan in your life. They can't. Stop God's perfect plan in your life, and and uh, the, the the crescendo of the book of, of of Genesis is where Joseph faces his brothers, and they're afraid that he now he's going to reap vengeance because their father is gone, Jacob has died, and now he's the one of the most powerful men in Egypt, and they think now that Dad's dead he's going to get back for, to us for selling us into slavery and Joseph says one statement it's really it's an incredibly important statement he says in, in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 he says you meant it for evil everything you did was evil you sold me as a slave you gave me away you hated me you meant it for evil but God meant it for good to preserve our family and a nation. You see what Joseph is saying there? Now, I don't think Joseph saw that as he was going through this. When he was in prison, I don't think he saw this. I don't think he understood it. But he was able to look back and say, oh, there's the hand of God. Through the evil deeds of my brother, you meant it for evil, but God carried it out for, his, for our good ultimate, for the good of the nation, for the good of the world. You know, ultimately, the nation of Israel, the Messiah, would come. So that's good news. So so how does that apply to you? It it applies to you to to know there's nothing, no one that can touch you that God says, I I know what's going on. I know it's going to be hard. I know you're going to suffer. But I have a plan. I'm with you. I will walk with you. Here's the second uh, observation, that God loves the downtrodden, the marginalized, the unloved, and the rejected ones. You know, it's interesting to me it's hard to know what it was with Leah that was so ugly we don't know and I don't know it, it, it's, it's pretty apparent that her father thought that there was something about her that he had to unload her some way deceptively because he, he didn't think she could ever find a, a husband she was hated by her husband she was rejected She was seen as ugly. She was despised. And her heart was always, maybe now, maybe now, maybe now. But you know, there was someone else, and this is where an incredibly powerful passage comes in. Isaiah 53, verse 2 says this. This is the prophet Isaiah. And he's writing about the Messiah, the one who's going to come as the Messiah. And this is one of those passages that doesn't portray Jesus coming as the conquering king. It portrays him in a very different way. Now, when I read this verse, think of how Leah was rejected and hated and despised. My servant, grew, This is Isaiah 53, 2. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But they weren't. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on Him the sins of us all. Leah was rejected. She was hated. She was despised. But she was the one who brought the hope. Jesus was the one who was hated. He was rejected. He was despised. Even during His public ministry, they mocked Him. They said, we don't even know who His Father is. On the cross, everyone left Him. He was despised. He was being mocked. He was being ridiculed. He was ugly. The application for us is very clear. He became Leah so that we could be the Rachel. Jesus became ugly. He took upon our sin. He took upon our pain. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. And He did all of that so that we could be loved, so that we could be accepted, so that we could be forgiven. And that's the power of this passage. Leah was ugly. She couldn't get her husband to look at her and care for her. And what Jesus did is he turned a bunch of Leah's into Rachel's. And now when God sees us, he says, I love you. Again, don't draw that parallel too tight. But you understand what I'm saying. And when God sees us, he sees his son Christ. And When Jesus gave himself on the cross, he gave himself so that we could live. He became ugly so that we could become beautiful. He took our sin so that we could be forgiven. That's the hope that we have today. Stand with me. Let's pray. And so, Father, what an amazing passage of Scripture as we see how You work behind the scenes, how angels are descending and uh, ascending the ladder, that Your work in heaven goes on, not just in heaven, but here on earth, even if we can't see it. But We thank You, Father, that You are working behind the scenes. We thank You for Jesus who became ugly, despised, rejected so that we could be accepted, forgiven, and loved. We thank You and praise You for that. If there's anyone here today, Father, who is trying to be a better person, trying to live up to the Ten Commandments, trying to be good enough to be acceptable, may they understand that they can't do enough. May they understand that's why heaven reached down to earth. That's why Christ came to earth and Jesus climbed up on a cross to die, to give his life for people who can't save themselves, who are drowning in the sea of sin, who desperately need a Savior. And thank you, Jesus, for becoming that Savior and uttering those words that say, it is finished. Thank you for the forgiveness and freedom that comes to everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. And we thank You for that in Jesus' name. Amen.